Hello everyone, my name is Ryan and you're listening to The Vegan Report. If you're vegan for the animals and you care to do more for animal rights, but you're not sure where to start, then this podcast is for you. Every week, let yourself fall in love with passionate animal rights leaders who will inspire you to find your voice, your own special contribution to the animal rights movement, however small or big it is. Today we are going to talk about compassion and how to extend our compassion not only to fellow homo sapiens, but also to other primates like chimps or monkeys. I have with me Dr. Mary Lee Jensvold. Uh, Mary Lee Jensvold is a primate communication scientist and associate director at Fauna Foundation. And I invite everyone to visit the Fauna Foundation website at faunafoundation.org. Uh, you can find more details in the description below. She has spent her career working with the signing chimpanzees, uh, Washu, I think that's how you pronounce the name, and her family. Uh, Mary Lee is the former director of Chimpanzee and Human Communication Institute at Central Washington University. Her interest in chimpanzee sanctuaries include care, practices, behavior, design, and welfare. Her expertise is in chimpanzee behavior and communication. Uh, she's a senior lecturer in the Primate Behavior and Ecology Program uh, and Anthropo Anthropology Department at Central Washington University. Uh, and she has numerous publications uh, in journals and books. Uh, thank you very much, Mary Lee, for uh, being a guest on this podcast. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, so great that you're featuring on a foundation. Amazing. Um, you are an expert in primate communication. Uh, and one of the most mind-blowing thing I have uh, ever watched is a chimpanzee using sign language. And it is so astonishing that you wonder, is it real? Uh, do great apes, uh, who are, I think, the only primates who can learn uh, sign language, uh, do great apes um, really have a grasp of language? Or is it just uh, a conditioning tr trick, like a parrot uh, saying a word to get a treat? Uh, well, we find over the years, it, it is, it, it's interesting, it remains so controversial because it rattles the foundation of who we are as a species. Um, and the, um, some of the chimps were raised like human children, and they acquired signs in that environment. So they uh, acquired them in patterns that resemble human children. They use them in, to initiate conversations. We've looked at, um, well, they have hundreds of signs in their vocabulary. They use them flexibly. They use them appropriately. They use them spontaneously. Um, they use them with each other uh, um, and with humans. It, um, they initiate conversations, they repair misunderstandings. So all of the, uh, all the decades of research show that there's, uh, it's far more than just a parlor trick. Um, if it were just conditioning, if they were just imitating, they wouldn't be signing to each other and they wouldn't be initiating the kinds of conversations 
conversations that they're initiating, some just simply to comment on their world or um, start activities or that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, it's it's more than just a trick. <laughs> I, I think, uh, and you said uh, you said that uh, in your answer, but I think part of the reason why. Uh, observing a chimp communicating with sign language is such an astonishing vision is because we don't expect that from animals. I think we are brought up to think of animals as objects and it is reflected in our laws. You know, most animals have the legal status of a piece of property and many people don't even think of animals as uh, sentient beings. Um, yet humans and animals share a lot in common. Uh, in fact, we are animals. <laughs> we are part of the animal kingdom, and it is particularly true in the case of primates, um, which is the evolutionary family to which Homo sapiens belong. Uh, so could you tell us more about uh, primates and what traits do human beings share with primates? Well, as you've pointed out, we are we are a primate, and so... Uh, the, the traits that we all share, we primates, the things that separate primates from perhaps, uh, you know, um, canines or felids or other orders of, um, of animals, um, we all have very large brains. I would say with humans, um, it's particularly large. The cortex, the outer region of the brain is particularly large. Um, we all uh, rely on vision. So vision is something that we're um, highly adapted to use. Um, primates have, even if you look at their, um, you know, sort of the, the bony structure around the eyes, um, is you know eyes are in sockets inside of a socket so they're very well protected there's a lot of redundancy in the wiring there's um, a lot of the brain is um, devoted to a visual cortex as opposed to maybe a dog where there's more um, parts of the brain that are going to be devoted to olfaction um, and um, so we've got this vision we have to go along with that where uh, highly, highly social. So all primates, almost all primates live in social groups. And, um, you know, then if you think about living in a social group, you have to have, you, well, all critters have to communicate, but um, we're communicating primarily visually. Um, and so then we have adaptations for that. Um, the, uh, the hair, the face is hairless. Um, uh, we have a huge amount of musculature in our faces so we can make different facial expressions. We communicate with body postures and, and with gestures. Um, so gestures are not just um, used in American Sign Language, they're used in many um, languages of deaf cultures across the globe, but also, um, you know, non-human primates use them um, use gestures to communicate as well. Um, so with that, we all, we all primates have hands as opposed to like a hoof or a claw. The fingers are, they're independent digits so they can grasp. 
they have a we have nails instead of claws. Um, I think uh, at you know sometimes when people look at little little monkeys with their little faces and they have these tiny little hands. And, um, but they, we all have hands. Um, we have free moving limbs so we can swing our arms around. Uh, humans actually can do that less. If you think about an orangutan, their hip can rotate as much as we can rotate our shoulder. Um, and let's see, some of the other characteristics then we have, um, most primates uh, have a tendency towards single birth uh, rather than having a litter or a whole bunch of babies. And if you think about uh, parental investment, the investment is in, um, in trying to ensure that that individual um, survives rather than, if you think about a salmon, their strategy is they just lay thousands of eggs and then they die. So their investment is in, is in um, you know, sort of creating all of those eggs. Whereas primates tend to have a single birth the um, the um, growth spurt. All organisms have a growth spurt, and it in primates it's delayed. We call it adolescence, but that occurs across primates, and so that allows for this longer period of dependency, and it's a period of time where this uh, infant and later child with this big brain that's communicating visually is starting to learn information from the individuals in their group, uh, including uh, including mom. So that is another sort of hallmark is this, um, these single births that tend to be spaced out and this kind of heavy investment in those individuals to make sure that they survive. So those are the general characteristics that that all primates share. And, and what about, you know, the, the differences? Because there's a lot of diversity um, under the umbrella of the term primate. Um, could you tell us, like, uh, what is the difference between a chimpanzee and a monkey? Yeah, so there's, um, within the order of primates, there are uh, sort of three large groups that you can think of. One is um, apes. Um, but I'll start at the other, um, an, an, another group that is sort of less related to us. And when I say that, we can think in terms of evolution and uh, how long ago we shared an ancestor with certain organisms. Not that those organisms um, stopped evolving because we're all evolving. Uh, some people have this misconception that humans are more, more evolved than other species, which is so arrogant. <clears throat> there, if, if you are not um, evolving and adapting to your environment, then you're extinct, uh, which is part of the issue with climate change. So um, with uh, lemurs, that's um, the, the group that diverged um, the furthest to go. Uh, and those are, um, you know, lemurs, um, other kinds of prosimians. And then there's monkeys. Monkeys tend to have, um, Tails, they occur both, um, you know, in the Americas and also uh, Europe, Africa, and Asia. So there are, uh, I think there's work to change the name, but there's new world primates and old world primates. Um, and and the, the, 
they're um, smaller than apes and they have tails. And then with apes um, existing today, there's humans, there's a group called Pan, which includes Pan troglodytes, which are chimpanzees, and then Pan paniscus, which are bonobos. Um, and then there's gorillas, uh, and there's orangutans. So the orangutans occur in Asia. They, they're um, diverged uh, first from this African lineage, I guess you would say. Then gorillas split off. Um, and then um, the pan group split off from um, homo. Uh, and actually, we're um, more closely related, these two groups, than... African and Asian elephants are related to each other. Wow. So we're really, really um, sibling sibling species. And then after that split, that's when bonobos and, and chimps split off from each other. Um, so uh, chimps and bonobos are more closely related to humans than they actually are to gorillas. Um, so that, that's a quick run through of the different groups of primates. That's impressive. and. Um, if I asked, you know, do um, primates experience sorrow uh, in terms of, you know, social behaviors? Do they experience sorrow? Can they experience humor? Um, things that we generally uh, think of them as being exclusive experiences to uh, humans. Would you accuse me of anthropomorphizing um primates or is it something that we could um go ahead and make that assessment um yeah it's funny anthropomorphizing has um is such a such a, a a bad word and i put that in quotes because there's um you know we have we as a as a culture and and i think science um is has made more steps towards um, talking about emotions in non-human animals. Um, it certainly with the signing chimps, you can see examples of it because they can, I mean, Tatu can tell me if she's sorry about something and she can apologize. Um, and we have witnessed grief. Um, if that's what we mean by sorrow, uh, we definitely see that. And humor, um, I, uh, you can see um, chimps engaging in, in activities and they've got big play faces and they're laughing. Um, and with the signing chimps, they can tell us if something is funny. Um, so we definitely see um, these, these range of emotions and, and um, as you know, probably Probably that we're we're reluctant to assign those um, because what does that mean about how we're treating them? Um, that's really the bigger picture. Um, yes, are, it's... <laughs> are we ready to go forth with those to accept those observations and then question our culture and the way we we have position? You know the status of. Uh, non-human animals in in our world um 
you know, it's it's all very fascinating, and you just made quite uh, a case on how complex creatures primates are. And, you know, many biologists and ethical philosophers argue that primates should be treated like people, uh, basically. And I mentioned the law uh, earlier, and I wonder, does the law in the U.S., uh, Canada, and elsewhere recognizes that complexity, uh, even the, the personhood or the sentience of primates? No, we don't. Well, this question of personhood, I'm, I'm not a... Uh not a lawyer, but, um, you know, assigning uh, personhood, which um, the Non-Human Rights Project, headed up by Stephen Weiss, has made um, huge steps in that regard. Um, and it is on the basis of assigning personhood. He began that with chimpanzees, but has since expanded it to elephants and cetaceans because they also share many of these characteristics of you know long life and social complexity and and those the things that um, the long life and and social complexity are not the reasons for personhood, but um, so um, you know I think it's more in terms of agency, but. Uh, um, it, it basically moves them out of the, um, stops them from being an object. There are um, countries, I think, New Zealand, Argentina, um, that do have assigned personhood. There have been cases where, um, you know, uh, there's an orangutan that had to be um, released from her from the zoo that she was in. She now lives at a sanctuary in Florida um, because it was found that she had the status of personhood, a per person. And um, so we're um, slowly coming along, but we there's a there's a long um, road ahead of us. I think it's um, it's gonna take a long time for this kind of thing to happen. I, I, I think in terms of, um, you know, recognizing the complexity and, and the sentience, I do think in regard to sentience, we, we're coming along. I mean, we're, you, you'll see news articles now where people are talking about, um, you know, lobsters feeling pain and uh, there are organisms that are just so um, far divergent from from us, but they're having experiences. Look at all the hoopla about uh, octopus, right? Um, and, you know, I think, so we are recognizing that, um, that there's a lot going on with other species. And it's, it's you know, one of the things with starting with apes is because, um, you know, it's it's kind of easy to uh, slip that one in on people because, well, first they can talk to us with signs and people begin to see that similarity. But I, but I feel like once people recognize the similarity between um, humans and our next of kin, essentially chimpanzees, um, then they start to wonder about other um, groups of of animals and well you know w what about monkeys you know what about um rats and 
sea urchins and all those kind of things. I do, I do think things are um, there's there's movement. It's just when you think about, you know, the the thousands and thousands of animals that are in laboratories and that are on people's plates. Um, that that's where, you know, it's one thing to think that, oh yeah, you know, my dog can feel things. It's another when you think that, you know, the hamburger on your plate might've had a pretty miserable experience before it got there. Thousands, more like billions. <laughs> yes. Right. Sorry. Right. Um, but you know, in the case of, for instance, chimpanzees, I feel like it's not a big concession to make. I mean, they have, like you said, they have faces and we can communicate with them using sign language. I mean, why is it so difficult to grant them with uh, uh, personhood status in, in the laws? And I know you're not a lawyer, but um, do you know what, what, what is that obstacle that stops us from uh, granting that uh, legal status? It's a slippery slope. You know, it's a good slippery slope. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I think it's that that sense of if we give an inch, then they're going to take a mile, you know. So if we if we if you start with chimps, then then what? Uh, now then you're going to um, make a legal case to get an elephant out of a zoo or, uh, you know, or out of a marine park. Um, so it's it's exactly that and with that was the worry with um when um biomedical research ended for chimps in the u.s you know the worry was well what are the, they're going to come after monkeys next it's like yeah <laughs> yeah we are mm -hmm. it's going to be another long haul but that's going to happen and um I, I think it's it's just that. It's just a slippery slope. What next? I I don't want to ask this next question, but I think it's uh, important an important one to ask. If primates are not well protected by the law, or not even protected by the law, they must be a prey to a number of abuses. What kind of abuses primates face across the world? Uh, um, well, I'll just start with, um, you know, with home. So um, monkeys are used extensively in um, biomedical re research in Canada and the U.S. Um, we, both countries, continue to import them. Um, you know, there's a, recently was a whole um, ring um, that's been involved in um, illegal, basically they're, they're bringing monkeys in that were, uh, you know, so they have these, um, well, another air quote here, farms, um, in Asia for like long tail macaques. Um, so they're used really heavily in research with COVID. There was a big push, you know, the, the industry can sound the alarm Oh my gosh, you know, now we got to rev things up because we've got this um, disease that we have to do research about. So, you know, there's um, such a huge demand. There's a higher demand for, for monkeys. Um, 
Uh, we don't import them from China anymore. So that was kind of a big source was cut off there. And these, um, this smuggling ring, they're, they're, while they, they claim that they're breeding chimps um, for export from Cambodia, um, but it turns out that also wild caught ones were being supplied to these places. And then when they arrive here in the Americas, they're not, um, you can't tell which is which. Um, so that is quite a, quite a thing to the point that um, long-tailed macaques now are becoming a, a, uh, endangered. There's so much of that going on. Um, you know, life in a laboratory is a pretty um, miserable thing. Often they're living alone in an enclosure. They're subjected to all sorts of different procedures based on what research protocol they're in. Um, you know, just uh, for an organism that's a critter that's so um, socially complex, being alone or even in a pair is not not a good life. And um, you know they they have a sense of 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 what's happening. I I wouldn't argue that it's any worse though for a for a monkey than it is for a pig or a dog. Um, so yeah, so that's um, those are the kind of things. And then of course you know there's as I as I mentioned in the in the wild you know there's threats to habitat uh, that sort of thing. But really um, the main thing it's it's is um, is biomedical research. Monkeys are really used heavily in that heavy heavy big time. And um... Are there any like uh, guardrails? Like, uh, are they using while experimenting on um, primates? Are they using like anesthetics or um, uh, any kind of you know painkillers? Um, uh, are there some rules about you know the, um, the you know the cage in which they are? Like, should it be that big or? Um, it's at the discretion of the of the lab, um, or is it just uh, you know the wild? Yeah, yeah. There are um, there's the Canadian Research Council and in Canada that has it's not laws, um, they're um, sort of best practices, if you will, and you do have to treat um, them humanely. I, um, I'm not sure if there's a specification for cage size. My guess is probably yes. Uh, in the U.S., there is. Uh, it's big, big enough to make normal um, postural adjustments. And then it, they've, um, it's actually specified in the U.S., which usually lags behind in animal welfare and protection. Um, it is a law. There's the Animal Welfare Act. It's a law. Uh, in Canada, doesn't have um, this same level of protection, which is which is a real surprising issue because Canada is often, um, you know, up there with Europe in terms of animal protection, but um, not necessarily in labs. Um, and you know, there's stipulations for providing enrichment. You are supposed to provide for anesthesia and pain control and that and that kind of thing. Um, so, so that's there, but I still would argue that, um, 
you know, I mean, the kinds of things, I mean, they're doing mutilations and all sorts of things that will, um, it, it's, it's just, um, it's just too much, you know, I mean, it's uh, even, even if you ended the research itself, just the enclosures and the way that they're living is so, um, is so awful. Um, and such a, such a lack of, um, you know, uh, living in a sterile cage, you know, such a, such a lack of um, variety and enrichment and that, and that kind of thing. But I'm, I also feel like captivity for apes is not, it's um, really impossible for us to provide for them um, as compared to what they would could potentially live in the wild if that's where they were born. Um, so even in the very best sanctuaries, they've got a they've got a a, a a good life. I put that in quotes. It's still captivity. It's a it's a good uh, incarceration, and I think it's important for us not to to sugarcoat. Um, and think that it's well if they're in a sanctuary it's okay it's 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 still not okay um i think we need to be moving to a place where that just doesn't happen yes and we're using a lot of euphemisms but we're talking about torture here uh torture with guardrails um and it is the law but it is not the most well enforced law <laughs> in the <laughs> land um so so yeah, we, we should be aware of that. Um, yeah. yeah. Now, um, to be more uh, positive, <laughs> uh, now, there are a few heroes like yourself who uh, stand up for um, welfare of animals um, and who have welcomed in their circle of compassion not just humans but other animals. And you and others have created uh, a special place, a sanctuary called Fauna. And I'm so glad that such a place exists. Um, can, could you tell us more about what is Fauna? Um, how did it come to exist? And what is its mission? Yeah, so Fauna is the only chimpanzee sanctuary in Canada. Um, it... Um, came into existence, Gloria Grow is our director and founder. And um, she and I actually met in the mid nineties. Uh, she came to the Chimpanzee and Human Communication Institute where we had the sign language project. And we invited um, people to come and help us with our research through our Earthwatch program. And in that, in educating um, the folks that came, we taught, talked about uh, biomedical research. And so when uh, Gloria learned about that, she decided she wanted to start her, her own chimpanzee sanctuary. And so she lived in Carianne. So that's where she started her sanctuary. And uh, LEMSIP uh, was the laboratory for experimental and medical surgery in primates. They were doing uh, vaccine research. They were infecting chimps with hepatitis C, HIV, uh, and Gloria wanted, um, you know, oh, then LEMSIP, LEMSIP decided that it, it was going to stop. 
um, doing that and divest itself of their chimps. And so Gloria uh, took, she took uh, 15 chimps from Lemsip. Um, and then over the years, uh, other chimps came there, other chimps from um, zoos in Quebec. Um, so um, Park Safari, uh, there was a zoo in San Felician, excuse my um, accent, or lack of um, accent, uh, and, um, and also the Quebec City Zoo, so um, other chimps came, and then um, Tatu and Lulis also came from the U.S. when uh, the Chimpanzee and Human Communication Institute closed. Um, so our, there are also... Um, have been monkeys. Uh, we have one monkey now, Newton, and monkeys have come to fauna from biomedical research uh, and also the pet industry. And um, so our mission, that's how fauna came to exist. And um, the mission is to provide sanctuary, also to provide education um, about chimpanzees and, and, other, and our other fellow beings and also uh, conservation. So Fauna sits on uh, about 300 acres of green space just outside of Montreal um, in an area that's being heavily developed. So it's, um, you know, it, it origin the int original intention was to create a buffer around the chimps, but it's come to be a, a, a place that has a, a, attracts all sorts of wildlife and there's endangered species there, migratory birds, and and so that also is uh, is part of our mission. Wow! And, and you also have you know farm animals, I believe. Yes, Fauna started as a farm animal sanctuary. Um, the only farm animals that um, are left at Fauna now are um, it's a flock of domestic geese, um, and uh, Fauna is no longer doing any active uh, rescuing. We're really hitting the uh, the sunset of our mission and just providing the best care to the chimps that are there and Newton um, the monkey and the and the geese um, there's no other uh, chimpanzees in all of Canada there are orangutans and gorillas and zoos but there's no other uh, no other chimps so oh, there's um, really no one to to come to us that 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 um, part of the mission is uh, that we're just writing that one out, so to speak. Um, but it may take a long time because chimps live live a long time, and uh, you know we've still got a got a full house of uh, of um, wonderful beings. Um, yeah, so that's and and it's their home now. And by the way, you're the last person who should apologize about an accent. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I would love to know more about, uh, you know, you, you named some of them like Newton. Um, I would love to know more about uh, some of Fono's residents. Who are they? Um, what is their life story? And um, what is their life currently uh, at Fono? Yeah, so um, our matriarch, really our oldest resident, Sue Ellen, uh, I think Sue Ellen is 56. Um, and Sue Ellen um, was originally um, 
a sidekick in a circus when she was little. And then when she got too big, she was dumped at LEMSIP and spent 15 years in biomedical research and was infected with the HIV virus. It turns out chimps don't get AIDS or don't develop AIDS. Um, so that just goes to show that um, they're not not good models for that. And often, you know, the industry claims that we need these models, but often um, they're not, you know, we get erroneous findings. So um, anyway, then Sue Ellen uh, came, came to Fauna um, as part of the older group of, of chimps. She's um, about six years ago, she lost the use of her legs um, and we never figured out what caused it, um, but it took her years, you know, we, um, she could use her arms to move around um, and we sort of tricked out her, her enclosure with uh, straps and bars and so that she could have some mo mobility and, you know, many places would have euthanized her, um, but not at Fauna. And she has regained her ability to walk. And, um, you know, she's always uh, keeping watch. She likes to watch all the, the guys um, that work at Fauna. Um, she's particularly fond of men. So um, that's, that's Sue. She often will wear a little uh, kind of a tutu or something like that, which on one hand is, it's, it's um, you know, I mean, it makes for a great, a great picture. Um, but on the other hand, it reminds us of, of, it probably is some kind of a throwback in her mind from when she was in the circus. Mm. Um, another one of our residents, Rachel, um, Rachel was raised uh, in, a, in a human home for the first three years of her life like a pet. And then she was dumped at LEMSIP. Um, and then Rachel came to Fauna along with the other LEMSIP chimps in 1997. Rachel has a diagnosis of PTSD. Um, and she still... Um, she still, you know, is um, still suffers with that. Um, and it's not as bad as it was in the beginning when she first arrived, but she still um, has that. So, you know, even when we bring um, chimps to sanctuary, there's still this, um, you know, sort of train wreck that they're that they're um, carrying around different individuals of different levels of grit. Sue Ellen is not like that at all. She's a super strong personality, but um, but Rachel um, really really uh, suffers. Um, but uh, she's um, very into her. Um, she loves the her caregivers, and she carries around these little stuffed gorillas, which. Binky has recently, Binky is another, one of the chimps from Fauna, he's recently been taking her little, little stuffed gorillas. <laughs> <laughs> you know, kind of like a brother and sister sort of a thing there. Um, so those, those are, 
some of the, the residents there. Yeah, and then we have Tatu and Lulis who use sign language. Um, Tatu was raised like a human child, as I, as I said. Um, and again, that research never to be repeated, um, in no way ethical. Um, but, you know, the, the chimps are stamped with this, and, and it's sort of this indelible mark that they can talk with their hands now. Uh, and then Lulus, um, he learned his sign language from other chimpanzees. Um, so, so that's uh, that's that's those two. That's amazing. He he learned that uh, just from being in contact with some chimpanzees who had that knowledge. So, so there was like a schooling, like education, basically. Yeah, um, I would say it's more like uh, the way that we learn a, learn our first language. Um, you know, I um, you can in in school actually that's like the worst way to learn a language, yes. unless you're in a um, immersive classroom. But the the way that you learn and acquire languages is really being immersed in that environment. And so Lulus was um, his his mother was Washoe, so the first. Washoe um, adopted Lulus, and then in, in that research, no humans were allowed to sign around Lulus, so his only input was from Washoe and other signing chimps, and he began to sign in a week. Um, you know, it's, it's like super amazing, um, but it, it, it turns out that um, when we look at what is going on in the wild, of course, we didn't know on this level back in the 70s when this research was going. But now we know that chimps in the wild use gestures. They use gestures that are specific to their community. Um, so, um, you know, they're, they're, it's, they're, they're acquiring the sort of vocabulary, if you will, of that, that community. So they can, um, we're seeing, you know, differences amongst them. These, again, the, the gestures are learned. That's what little chimps do. They, acquire the gestures of the humans around them, just like little humans do that as well. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's, that experiment is happening in the wild every day, so to speak. That's amazing. That's truly amazing. Um, my last question for you, doctor, um, is why is it so important to be compassionate and how can listeners make a difference? Um, I talk, I told them, you know, you can visit uh, FonaFoundation.org. I think uh, they can learn more about the residents uh, on the website. There's even a, a program called uh, Adopt a Chimp, um, which is amazing. Um, but, you know, if, if we take a few step backs and we talk about what is at the heart of this conversation, you know, compassion, why is it? so important to include animals in in our uh circle of compassion um yeah I, I let that question you know open like that so answer the way you want yeah well and so i i would uh take it a little bit further um and i think if we view um you know, everything on the planet with sort of that awe and wonder 
that comes with compassion. Um, I, I, well, imagine how we would treat our fellow humans if we um, were able to extend our circle of um, compassion and, um, and, you know, it, it's, it's just, uh, I guess it's the, the characteristics um, that, that come with having a wider circle of compassion are ones that are, um, ones that everybody could use. Sorry, I have a kid, a teenage kid who spends a lot of time watching these Karen videos. And it's like, it's so toxic, but this is true. This is the way people are. And sort of the opposite of that is being compassionate and being humble and asking what it is that other individuals bring to the table and realizing that, you know, everybody, whether you're human or, uh, uh, or you're a chimp or whether you're a monkey or, or whether you're an oak tree, everybody's just trying to get through the day. Um, and uh, that, you know, just realizing that that's what we have in common I think it makes people kinder, doesn't it? I wholeheartedly agree. And I would add, um, it makes life so much more pleasant. You know, it is just, you know, pleasant to be uh, compassionate to others, including animals, to be uh, generous with your compassion. Uh, mm -hmm. It just makes your life more um, you know, peaceful, more, uh, a more happy life. Uh, yeah, and it's a, I, I just want to interrupt yes, you because you said ahead. something that struck a chord when you said generous, and and I agree with you because we won't run out. It's not like I'll only have so much compassion <laughs> in my bucket. <laughs> yes, exactly. Why not? I mean, it's not a we're not spending money here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, I'm I'm happy that we agree on that. Um, would you like to add something before we end this conversation? Yeah, well, I I think, you know, what can people do? I, I'd, um, you know, I'm always urging people to pay attention to what, what is going on um, in the biomedical um, industry and what, um, you know, there's labs all over the place. You wouldn't know it, but they're all over the place. They keep uh, pretty on the lowdown. Um, and yeah, read, read, educate yourself. I think the more that we know, um, the easier it is to have compassion, the more you understand what's going on in our world and educating ourselves. Amazing. Um, again, thank you so much, Mary Lee, for, um, taking the time to, to answer my question. Well, thanks for featuring Fauna and thank Thanks for doing this podcast because this is uh, people listening is one one other way that we can we can change ourselves and uh, hopefully change everybody. Of course, it's my pleasure. Thank you, everyone, for listening. What an honor to have met Dr. Jensfold. Go support the Fona Foundation. I left a link to their website in the description below. Share this episode with family and friends and spread the word about experiments on primates. I'm very excited for next week's episode. You are going to hear me talk with Colin, who used to work for the animal industry like ranches and slaughterhouses. 
but he's now vegan. It's a fascinating conversation and Colin's journey to veganism is very inspiring. So subscribe now and don't miss out on next week's episode. If you like this podcast, take the time to leave a good review. It would mean a lot. I'm also on Instagram if you want to reach out at Vegan Report Podcast. Thank you again for listening. Take care and see you next week.